Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, political gamesmanship on Capitol Hill could keep you home from work on Friday. Schumer may well insist that the government shut down for a couple of days so that he can make the political point that the Republicans have done the irresponsible thing. Not everything about back to the office is going to be smooth. The important thing is to make sure that we're not only you know recognizing the good stuff, but being forgiving on the mistakes. I mean, mistakes are part and parcel of the, the process here. And back to the office concerns aren't just about the office. There is a concern about a return to the workplace with crowded uh, indoor office spaces. Many employees have to deal with public transit. It's Tuesday, September 28th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The National Archives and Records Administration has a network resiliency plan in place after a service outage from Hurricane Ida. NARA's electronic records archive was offline for two weeks because of flooding. NARA hasn't said if the outage will affect its Friday deadline to load records transfer requests into its system. New volumes of the Cybersecurity Practice Guide are coming from the National Institute of Standards and Technology. The volumes will cover the steps agencies should take to implement zero-trust security. NIST will publish the volumes starting in 2022. The Labor Department will modernize its infrastructure through five new task orders on the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract. Dave Nichapier is tech reporter at FedScoop. He's writing about the New Deal at the Labor Department. Dave, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What is here that's important? Is it the size of the contracts or the task orders? Is it the fact that the Labor Department is really changing so much of its infrastructure? Is it the fact that they're EIS? What's the deal? Well, I think it's interesting that uh, the Labor Department initially had issued uh, three task orders, and, and now they're jumping up to five here. Uh, this is basically their way of saying we're completing our EIS transition with these task orders, all awarded to Verizon, uh, after kind of a hazy start where the agency had uh, had to rebid the contract because they tried to do a winner-takes-all approach at the very start of this whole process. What does this bode, if anything, for what other agencies might try to do under these EIS transitions as some of them are really up against it? Uh, yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think that uh, a lot of agencies might take this approach where we see additional task orders being awarded a little bit later in the process for a lot of reasons. A lot of agencies had were dealing with COVID issues and really needed to revamp their networks in light of COVID and the new telework norm that we're living in. What do you see moving forward for other agencies who are going to try to get these or, uh, task orders out the door? I mean, the deadline is is approaching very quickly, and some of these agencies have better success than others at getting going. Yeah, I mean, if we look at the Fatara scorecard, most of the agencies received uh, passing grades last time, but you did have a sizable number. I think there were four Ds and two Fs from different agencies that are still pretty lagging in their transitions. Uh, they're gonna really need to get things in gear. GSA has made an offer to these agencies at the very start of this process that they're willing to work with these agencies if they're struggling. So far, we haven't seen any agencies take GSA up on that offer. To my knowledge, uh, I, I'll obviously be hounding GSA to see if that changes in the coming months. Dave Nichapier, thanks very much as always. Great story. Thank you. You can read more about Dave's story and all these stories at fedscoop.com. The lineup's filling up for Cyber Week, October 18th through the 22nd. CyberScoop has more than 40 events on the calendar already for the Cyber Festival. 
Lots of top leaders from tech, education, and government will be there, both digitally and in person. You can learn more and sign up now at cyberweek.us. The end of the fiscal year is less than two days away. Congress appears to be both close to and far away from a deal to stop a government shutdown. David Hawkins is senior editor of The American Leader. Now, here's what I mean by that, David. You are my soothsayer in all of these things. So I'm going to tell you why I said that, and you can tell me why I'm either on the right track or completely insane, okay? Sounds easy. The, <laughs> oh, God, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. The right. reason that I think that they look close to a deal is it sounds like from both sides and both chambers if they get rid of the debt limit issue that both chambers would be able to pass a CR that would run through December 3rd wouldn't be ideal but the shutdown would be averted the reason it sounds like they're far away is potentially there are a number of members who don't want to strip out the debt limit issue and so we could be stuck in this churn for the next couple of days that's the reason i said what i said am i thinking correctly or am i really off the mark welcome no, this 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 is easy you did my work for me this is yeah no i totally i totally agree um i think that uh the a question for the democrats right just to remind people that um democrats their their, their idea is to is to attach this uh, essentially its language that that suspends the debt ceiling uh, for two years and just says that you know the treasury can borrow what it needs to pay existing bills. I want to say this every time. This is about borrowing to pay the bills for decisions made by both parties, endorsed by presidents of both parties in the past. This has nothing to do with fu authorizing future spending or or debt to pay for future spending. Anyway, so the Democrats say. Uh, this should be a bipartisan deal, uh, and so we should attach it right to the to the CR. Uh, Republicans steadfast against that. I don't think that position is going to change. I don't think Mitch McConnell is going to get off that position. So, a question for Chuck Schumer is: Do we force the issue briefly uh, and make and allow the government to shut down and blame the Republicans for that? Is that in Chuck Schumer's interest to shut the government down for a couple of days? and say this is Mitch McConnell's fault because he won't do the responsible thing, which would be his language, I think that's still a potential. Um, the or, or do they say, we'll extend this for two weeks. We'll pass a CR for just a couple of weeks. Um, and then we'll come back uh, and maybe do the debt ceiling separately, but combine them both so it all climaxes together in in uh, in the middle of, of the month, in the middle of October. Um, Mitch McConnell is correct when he says that the Democrats can do this without Republican votes. There is there is a special kind of reconciliation that allows the Democrats to pass this with their simple majority vote. So they could do it. Um, so great, lots of different options still um, in the in the hours between when we're talking and when I think this this podcast will be available. Uh, lots could change. You mentioned a possibility there that I know exists and yet nobody's talked about it. And that is the continuing resolution to run from now till December 2nd is not the only possibility. We could see a one day CR. We could see a one week CR. We could see a two week CR. There's anything could happen. And so this is still just as fluid as it was when we talked about this the last time, isn't it, David? Yes, it, yes, it is. Um, the only thing that is, uh, and, and, 
well, lots of are fluid except except the end of the fiscal year. Well, that's true. On on on, on Thursday, but but it is important to know that almost everything else is fluid, including the time at which the debt ceiling is hit for sure. The Treasury, it's 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 complicated. It has to right now. The Treasury is sort of moving money around and doing what they call extraordinary measures. Uh, they're extraordinary, except that they happen every time there's one of these debt ceiling crises. Um, but at some point, the Treasury will say, we're out of ma maneuvering room, and there is a, a, a real a firm deadline. They haven't said that yet. They've hinted that it's sometime in the, second, in, in the middle of October or the end of October. So there's time to, the two can be decoupled. The need to keep the government operating starting uh, at midnight on mid midnight 01 on the 1st, is real uh the deadline for the debt limit is still fuzzy all right let's assume that we get to when this podcast comes out and the world hasn't changed dramatically what should i watch as a as a leader of federal employees for whether my people should be coming to work on friday or not oh gosh uh i guess you've you pay attention to everything mitch mcconnell says does when what what rooms he's in and uh and I mean, one thing that is true is that usually when Mitch McConnell draws such a firm line in the sand, uh, he doesn't back away. Um, he knows how to, he, you know, he's been at this a long time. He knows how to carve himself some, some wiggle room and, and how not to and when not to. And in this case, he is not moving uh, off the notion that the Democrats are going to have to provide all the votes to raise the debt ceiling. But he's also not, he's, he's also said, I know that they can do that. And so we're going to let them do that. He has absolutely shown no interest um, in shutting the government. I mean, sometimes Republicans have wanted to shut the government down for their own political reasons. This isn't that time. So uh, the last time you had me on, I predicted a, I predicted a government shutdown. I guess I'm going to still predict uh, what I said a few minutes ago, which is that Schumer may well insist that the government shut down for a couple of days so that he can make the political point that the Republicans have done the irresponsible thing. Yeah, you said 50-50 last time, so you gave yourself some wiggle room, speaking of wiggle oh, room. All right, well, 50-50. All right, David Hawkins, as always, thanks for coming on, my friend. Thank you, Francis. There's more on the possible government shutdown in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Coming up on today's Daily Scoop podcast, the back-to-the-office challenges no one's talking about yet. The president of the National Treasury Employees Union, Tony Reardon, will start the discussion that's coming up. The Daily Scoop podcast lineup is available ahead of time every day on Twitter. You can follow the show at Daily Scoop Pod. Whether employees come to work on Friday or not, contingency plans for getting back to the office are starting to form. Most employees have more questions than answers about what happens when they go back to the office and what their jobs look like. Max Steyer is president and CEO of the Partnership for Public Service. Max, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. We talked a little bit before we started recording that one of the problems I think managers are up against, if there's a shutdown or if there's not a shutdown, at some point in time, folks have to try to go back to whatever normal is. And we don't know what normal is in 21, uh, 2021 is, do we, Max? Uh, no, I think that normal is change and normal is the unexpected. I will say that I think there is actually an upside here too, and that is that we can imagine a very different government that actually provides better service uh, through more digital service, that collaborates better, and that manages talent better by having more flexibility. So again, I think you know the flip side of all the challenges that government has really innovated in important ways, and we need to actually imagine 
uh, how to build on top of that rather than believing we can return to any um, you know prior reality. So a lot of people, I think, have imagined a different government, uh, to use your term, which I think is a terrific one. A lot of people have done that over time, and yet at the pandemic, we still saw the dramatic shift that had to happen. It wasn't just a kind of a rote, comfortable transition. What shifts that imagination in people's minds to reality, Max? What are the steps that the administration, the individual agency leaders, whether they're career or politicals, should be taking to make that transition from an imagination, an, an imagined different government to a real different government? I mean, I think it begins by building off of the good. I think this is something that doesn't happen enough in our government. Almost everything that should be happening is, is happening someplace, generally speaking, not in very many of them. And learning from the broader network, both frankly inside government and then outside, whether it's international example or state and local example or private sector example is pretty darn important. But we actually did a report on, on uh, amazing innovations that came out of the pandemic response. And that's the starting point is identify the good that's already happening and build on top of that. I also believe that it's important to ensure that it's an ongoing learning process, the recognition that no one really understands how to operate most effectively and what I think is going to be a hybrid world. And therefore, we have to be in a learning mode, in a more intensive learning mode than we've ever been before. And finally, I would say the important thing is to make sure that we're not only you know recognizing the good stuff, but being forgiving on the mistakes. I mean, mistakes are part and parcel of the, the process here. And part of that, I think, is really engaging also the oversight and legal community People underestimate how important it is to bring them on board, both of them, in order to be able to drive successful change. You know, a lot of federal employees are risk averse for good reason. They understand that by trying something new, they put themselves at risk, um, especially from from oversight. So uh, again, this is complicated, but it's why it you know leadership matters, and and I think we need leaders to really step up here. You mentioned a report about uh, good things that happened during the pandemic, innovations that people made stuff, and your team puts out so much stuff that I think occasionally things get lost in the shuffle, and I think that was one. I think people like me didn't pay enough attention to that one in particular, because I, I took some time when that first came out to go through it, and there are just incredible things that happened. I mean, and 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 the backdrop of that, I think, that people may have missed is I don't recall any examples of anything that was absolutely unfixable that happened either. There were no disasters. There were problem spots, sure. There's no question about that. But there was nothing that that broke so badly that it couldn't be repaired as we transitioned from February to March to April of last year. What does that say to you about how people should think and how people should apply that mindset to how they want to try to imagine government in 2025 or 2030? Well, I love the question. And honestly, there's a you know tiny echo of that at the Partnership for Public Service itself. I feel like we've been a lemonade factory and uh, you know we're better in so many ways. We were just talking about the Service to American Mills, the Sammies, and that we now do a virtual event that reaches hundreds of thousands rather than hundreds, and hopefully we'll be reaching millions this cycle. And so um, I think part of the lesson learned is just what you said, and that is that the government is, our government is capable of great agility and great transformation when forced to. Interestingly, in a crisis, our government responds typically extraordinary well. And when I say our government, it's the people of our government 
respond incredibly well. And I would say that there are at least two big reasons for that. One of which is there's clarity of objective. There's an understanding about what actually needs to happen to get done. So there's the mission focus. And the second is that there's less concern around pure process, uh, that there's an understanding that, that there's an urgency that requires the mission to get done no matter what. And I think that kind of attitude doesn't have to occur only in a crisis. And it's one where I think we have further exploration to do, but we should try to bottle that and try to support that and, and teach that and develop that, that notion of you know, constant um, improvement and willingness to challenge accepted orthodoxy in order to get better results. All that said, and I can't resist also saying that it's taken its toll as well. I mean, people are exhausted, uh, you know, people are stressed, uh, and um, obviously the purpose here to talk about the possibility of a shutdown only makes it worse. So that's where we are uh, as we have this conversation on September 28th, 2021, Max, that uh, as far as we know, um, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of people believe that there will be some deal and there will not be a shutdown. But the fact of the matter is we're now three or four days into the preparations for one anyway, just in case. Uh, we thought maybe we would be out of that after the last scare last year. And here we are again, 360 three days later, having the same conversation, basically. Um, what toll does that take on these people who are shell-shocked already? So you're 100% right that, you know, shutdown or no shutdown, it already has disrupted our government because everybody involved in government is either worrying that's going to happen or actually preparing for it to happen, as they should be. They need to be. This is an incredibly complex operation. And frankly, it it requires a lot of preparation to make sure that if there is a shutdown, that it's done in a way that doesn't disrupt vital services, as you described the government being so good at doing through the, the pandemic. And so, you know, again, it's additive uh, on top of all the other stresses and difficulties that the federal workforce is having to experience. This is a big one and it doesn't have to be. I mean, I do think this is a case where there's actually a pretty simple fix. There's legislation that has been proposed on a bipartisan basis by Senators Lankford and Hassan uh, which would simply do the right thing and say, hey, if we can't do our job, the, the pain shouldn't be on the back of the American public and federal workers. The pain should be on us. And the default isn't that the government shuts down, but rather that there's a continuing resolution and we're required to come to work every day until we fix it. I mean, I think that seems like a pretty, you know, commonsensical uh, approach and it's there and we need Congress to actually show some leadership and pass that law and not make this ever happen again. Max, uh, I want to congratulate you on the Sammies again this year. Uh, I'm looking forward to it at the end of October, and uh, we'll uh, absolutely have to have you come back and continue this conversation. I appreciate your time today. I look forward to it, and congratulations on the great work you continue to do. You can find a link to the partnership's shutdown success stories in today's show notes at the Daily Scoop Podcast. Com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on Wednesday's program, the year-end buying crush in the federal IT community. NASA Soup's Joanne Wojtek on how to use the last of your money wisely. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Wednesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Safer Federal Workforce Task Force says federal employees have less than 60 days to get vaccines for COVID-19. The deadline for shots is November 22nd, but employees are up against a tighter deadline Thursday at midnight. 
Tony Reardon is president of the National Treasury Employees Union. Mr. President, it's great to see you. Thank you for coming on the program. Uh, we'll get to the shutdown deadline in a moment. The challenge that I'm hearing from employees, whether they are already vaccinated or not, is what happens to me and what happens to my coworkers when we come back to the office, whenever that may be. What are you hearing from your members about what they're concerned about, about going back to the office, either vaccinated, unvaccinated with tests and all of that? Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Francis. Uh, it's great to be with you. You know, yeah, I mean, there's um, obviously um, a, a great deal of uh, anxiety. You know, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, maximum telework has um, really saved lives and it's it's kept our government running well over the last, uh, what, 19 months or so. And so, you know, I, I think it's important um, to know that, you know, our NTEU perspective, as well as I'm sure that of, of uh, the vast majority of our members um, is that there should not be any rush um, on reentry um, to the workplace as long as hospitalization and death rates um, remain really high. You know, there's, there's, and in saying that, I, I do want to make sure that I recognize that there is a common misunderstanding. I think that um, amongst the um, the public around the public that. Um, all feds are um, teleworking. And, you know, that that simply isn't true. For the entirety of the uh, pandemic, um, our CBP employees that we represent, for example, have been um, uh, in the workplace. For the vast majority of the time, our IRS, many of our IRS employees have, have been uh, to work. So, but, you know, look, just like everybody else, there is a concern about a return to the workplace with crowded uh, indoor office spaces. Many employees have to deal with public transit, um, what's, whatever is going to be happening with uh, schools and daycare, um, making sure that daycare stays open and all that. So there are a there are a lot of concerns out there, Francis. One of the things that I think that I do and my colleagues in the media that covers the government do is we forget from time to time, too, only I think it's 15 percent of federal employees are in the D.C. area. So all the concerns that you raise are not just having to do with Metro and the bus system in the D.C. area. It's all over the country. And there are going to be wrinkles and permutations and variations of all these policies, or probably should be, shouldn't there, Tony? Absolutely. And you know, I think agencies are going to be um, uh, further taxed, if you will, to be able to deal with uh, issues that are happening in uh, various geographic uh, regions. You know, it, it may be that in one part of the country, you know, um, the uh, Delta variant, for example, is exploding, whereas in another part, you know, it's, it's more under control. And so agencies are going to have to be, I think, uh, very flexible uh, and smart about how they deal with those reentry plans based on those kinds of things. I still see, when I go to other parts of the country outside the D.C. area, I still see uh, a kind of a sense or feeling or at least a hope that we're starting to move beyond the even the Delta variant of COVID and starting to think about what comes next. What's your sense of what changes should stick in the government with maximum telework or with change? You mentioned changes to office spaces. People are already thinking about what that looks like. What's your sense of what changes should stick and, and how the government might look and work differently in 2023 and 2025 and beyond, Tony? Well, I, I think I think, you know, at least initially, Francis, 
um, there needs to be a um, um, a recognition that the reentry needs to really be phased in over time. Um, and and certainly, I don't think that uh, you know we should start this this reentry until the vaccine mandate is um, uh, fully implemented and perhaps you know even longer. But I think you know in in responding directly to your question, I think there are um, a lot of things that you know, probably have changed uh, workplaces forever. We do have to pay attention um, to making sure that, for example, within uh, federal buildings, that the uh, air circulation is is handled appropriately. We've got to make sure that, you know, um, folks who um, are face to face with with um, uh, the public, that they're that, you know, both are protected and you know, we've got to make sure that um, all of those things are um, being paid attention to because I, I think, you know, our world has has changed. Now, with that said, you know, hopefully once um, the vaccine gets out around um, the country and it starts to take better hold and we do defeat, um, uh, you know, the, this particular variant, the Delta variant, and hopefully we don't have any other variants that, uh, you know, attack us. Hopefully what will happen then is we will start to get back to kind of what I guess would be our new uh, norm. But, you know, I'm, I'm not certain it's ever going to go back to the way that it was prior to the uh, pandemic, Francis. I, I think probably many of us wish it would, but I, I just don't see that happening. In a maximum telework environment, Tony, is there are there things that you believe that the agencies or uh, the, the broader leadership in government has missed or underestimated or undersold the, the value of or anything like that that people should think about moving forward? Well, I, you know, I do think an NTEU has, has, and I'm glad you asked that question, um, because, you know, for a long time, NTEU has been a major proponent of, of uh, telework. And I think over time, you know, um, agencies were extraordinarily reluctant to uh, kind of jump on board with, you know, more employees having telework and employees being up, being able to telework um, more of the time. And and what this what this pandemic has shown is that undoubtedly, um, telework works. And so um, I can tell you, for example, um, in some recent negotiations that we had with the Internal Revenue Service over a contract, um, we there is um, a um, a pretty significantly increased number of positions um, at the IRS who are going to be able to telework. And so I think it is crucial um, that the government not fall behind and, and pay close attention to, all right, let's make use of maximum telework because there are so many benefits. I mean, outside of just to federal employees, just but just to our entire country, if um, uh, telework is more widely utilized. I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, and now we're almost out of time, Tony, that uh, government's up against a deadline Thursday night at midnight. I'm going to put you down as being in the anti-shutdown camp, right? We've been having these conversations long enough that I feel pretty comfortable being able to do that. Yes, you can do that. You can find a link to the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force guidance about vaccines in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms now. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, 
I appreciate it very much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. So if you haven't yet, please do so. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. A look at the end of the fiscal year buying crush on Wednesday's show. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks very much for listening.